Well, good morning. We're going to read this morning from um, John 21. It's not going to come on the screen because it's a story. So think Jack and Ori, okay? Now, those of you old enough to think Jack and Ori. I'm going to read from John 21, verses 1 to 14. Now, for those of you who watched the rugby yesterday, you'll know why I'm not going to read verses 15 and 16. For those who didn't watch the rugby, England lost 15-16 to South Africa. (laughs) So we're stopping at verse 14. You can put the slides up if you like. Um, Thanks, Josh. Joe. Josh. Joseph, I mean. Okay. Thanks. Right, let's go. John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, of course James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his garments around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. Now I want to bring out five things that I see in this story. There's waiting and there's frustration, there's a bonkers suggestion, there's miracle and there's Jesus in total control. So let's do these in order. The waiting. The disciples were waiting for Jesus to rock up. That's what they were waiting for. You know, when when the women went to the tomb after Jesus' death on the Sunday morning, they met the angels there. The angels said to them, go quickly, tell his disciples, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the disciples got their message. Go to Galilee, Jesus is going to come and meet you there. And then Jesus himself said to the women, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It might seem a bit odd because after saying this, Jesus then appeared to all the disciples in in the locked room, do you remember? On that Sunday evening. 
Jesus appeared. And then a week later, he appeared again. This time, Thomas was there. Can you remember that story? And also, he had also told them to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of waiting going on here. And I think, looking at you all this morning, I believe there's a lot of waiting going on here. A lot of waiting. Some of you, of us, we're waiting for Jesus to deliver the promise he gave you some time ago. You're still waiting for it. Some of you are waiting for a prophetic word that's been given you to come true. You still don't understand what was said to you and why, and you're waiting for the answer from Jesus. Some of you had, some of us have had no direct promise at all, but we're waiting to have our prayers answered. We're waiting for Jesus to turn up with answers to our prayers. You might be praying for direction. Maybe you're praying for a choice you have to make, a really important choice in your, in your life. It may be your job. It may be your, part of your business. Maybe your family. Maybe you're praying for family members to discover and meet Jesus personally on their own. Maybe you think about moving Maybe it's a specific calling you believe God's calling you to and you're waiting for the answer. Is it right? Is it not? Am I hearing the right message? Well, it might be something as simple as which school do I send my kids to? And you're waiting for Jesus to rock up with the answer. Some of you are waiting for healing. You've been praying for it. You're praying for it. You might be waiting for provision, financial provision, housing provision, a job provision, a husband, wife, and nothing seems to be happening. You might be praying for understanding of God's purpose in your life. And you might be waiting for a release from a very hard place you're in right now. Things seem to be going a bit crazy, a bit wrong, and you just want to get out of that situation that you're in and you're waiting for God to answer your prayers nobody likes waiting nobody we live um, in Narborough and where we live there's a road that goes right round the corner and there's roads that go straight on which is effectively a left turn we're on that junction so I put my left winker on to go into my drive people behind me think I'm going down the road and I'm just going signalling left so when I put my brakes on, they get nearly go into the back of me, and I go into my drive, and they hoot their horn. So impatient. And I think, there's nothing wrong with me turning into my drive. I'm not doing anything wrong. People are so impatient. We hate waiting. But if you read through the Bible, there's a lot of waiting on in the Bible. Jesus had to wait till he was 30 before he started his ministry. Noah had to wait for a hundred years, having told everyone that God was going to destroy the world with a flood. He had to wait a hundred years for it to happen. Abraham had to wait 25 years for a child that God had told him he was going to have. Joseph had to wait maybe 10 years in prison, not knowing if he was ever going to get out, waiting for God to answer his prayers. The Israelites waited 400 years to be delivered out of slavery. Moses had to wait 40 years to take the people of Israel through, the prom through to the promised land that God had promised them 
40 years it took to get there. Job had to wait a long time for all his sickness and all the troubles in his life to disappear and for God to bless him mightily afterwards. Esther. Esther had to wait for just the right time to approach the king who could have killed her to prevent the annihilation of the Jewish nation. David had to wait after being anointed king to actually become king. There's loads of waiting in the Bible. But when you wait for Jesus, he'll always turn up. He will always turn up. He may not arrive at the door with the parcel you're expecting, but he'll always arrive with a gift. And there will be no surplus packaging. There will be nothing to throw away. Everything Jesus gives to you is worth it and valuable to you. We, um, during COVID, we ordered two masks. And um, two masks you could put in an ordinary envelope and put in the post. This is what Amazon delivered them in. <laughs> One box each mask. And that was full of, uh, you know, the rolled up paper to keep them from moving around. You don't get any rubbish when Jesus turns up. You don't get anything to throw away at all. He comes to us with a gift in answer to our prayers, but it's not always the one you're expecting. Isaiah says this, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now a bit later on, I'd like us all to pray for each other, for all the waiting that's going on in our lives, because we need to share these things with each other and to tell Lord that we're asking for this, I'm still waiting for an answer. And get, we can pray for each other a bit later on. So the second one is Frustration. The seven disciples were there in Galilee. Not all of them, the seven disciples. They went home to Galilee. I mean, they went home because Jesus had said he wanted to meet them there, but I'm sure they went home as well to see their family. They probably went home because they ran out of money, because the, the communal purse had uh, all, all dried up, because Jesus was dead. No one was giving them any money anymore, any, any, any accommodation. Um, you remember Judas was looking after all the money anyway, and he had committed suicide. So they went home. And they waited for Jesus. What did they do? They didn't twiddle their thumbs. They did what they did best. They went fishing. Went fishing to earn some money. And all seven of them in this story get in the boat. It's interesting, isn't it? I read a quote the other day, which I really liked. A quote by, there was a guy called Jim Elliott, who was massacred in Ecuador as a missionary. And his wife, who died a few years ago, wrote a poem. And basically in this poem, she's saying this. While you're waiting for God, do the next thing. So don't sit twiddling here thinking, I don't know what to do. Get stuck in. Get st this church needs so much in ministry, so many hands-on, so many things that need to be done. So don't just sit there thinking, well, I'm waiting until God tells me what to do. Get stuck in and still listen to what God wants for you. Anyway, they fish all night. They're gifted professionals. They're highly skilled. They've got loads of experience. And what do they catch? Zilch. 
Now remember, it's three years since they left everything and followed Jesus. They'd seen miracles, they'd seen, they'd heard outstanding teaching both to crowds of people and to them individually. They had so many exciting stories to tell. And it became such a close-knit community. And yet Jesus had been crucified on the cross. And they had left him and fled. But he had appeared to them twice already in a glorified body. Their heads must have been spinning, don't you think? Trying to understand what's going on. It's easy for us. We've got scripture. Trying to understand what on earth is all this about. Now this not catching fish is a failure. And having a, being failing at things that you're good at is very depressing. It really is, isn't it? And in their effort, they fished all night, they were tired, but they caught absolutely nothing. No breakfast, nothing to sell for any money. They probably felt as, as frustrated as Owen Farrell does this morning. Sorry, that's a rugby reference. Not many rugby fans here. It's hard to cope with failure. And it's frustrating when you know you could do better. It's also frustrating when you stretch yourself to the limit and you've given everything and there's nothing to show for it. Or people have let you down. And ministry can be like that. Any sort of ministry you get involved in can be like that. Even that massive Victorian preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, suffered from bouts of depression. It affects us all. We don't like failure. But often, it's when we're at a low ebb that the Holy Spirit takes over. When we feel like we're a failure or we feel like nothing is happening and we cry out to God, that's when the Holy Spirit takes over and God uses us for his glory. Then thirdly, there's a bonkers suggestion from this bloke on the beach. They didn't know it was Jesus at first. He's 100 yards away. It's probably a misty morning, very early in the morning, probably a, a mist coming up from the ground that they couldn't see him very well. There was smoke from a fire that he was creating on a barbecue. He was making a barbecue and, and they looked and they couldn't see it was Jesus. And he shouts to them, have you caught anything? No. And he says this, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Can you imagine what went through the head? What? We're the experts here. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Don't you think we've tried that? I'm tired, I've fished all night, I just want to go to bed. But for some reason, they did it. Now sometimes when God speaks, it does seem bonkers. When God calls you, you might think, me? That's ridiculous. Not me. But it's important that sometimes when God says, it's bonkers. It's what he wants us to do. Something different. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. I had this met about, I don't know, seven, six, seven years ago. God gave me that verse. And I, it, 
I, I couldn't let it go. It came coming back and back and back. I knew God was speaking, and I, I kept saying, what is it you want? And I prayed that he would make it clear. And then I went into town one day in the city to the market, and I was coming back out, and I was walking past the cathedral, back to the bus. And I said to God, I'm going to go in the cathedral, and I want you to confirm something for me. You give me this message, cast your net on the right side of the boat. What have I got to do? Just confirm that it's really you speaking. And I went into the cathedral. And guess what was in the cathedral? A stained glass window of John 21. The disciples meeting Jesus on the beach. And right across the top, you can't see it, but right across the top are the words... Cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. <laughs> My mouth dropped open. I thought, wow. And I really believe God was saying, do church differently. Do church differently. Don't do the same old, same old. And we came back. We, I shared it with the elders. And it was about that time that Leslie came and said, I want to start Messy Church. And I said to Leslie, you know, you're struggling for helpers at Tots and stuff. You're going to really struggle. Why not do it on a Sunday morning when everyone's there? And it seemed like a really bonkers suggestion. But we did that. And the first Sunday we did it, we had 80 visitors, people who had never been to church, this church, in their lives. And we saw this is God saying, do something bonkers. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. So doing a ministry in South Wigston, bonkers? Or is it God, is it Jesus telling you to cast your net on the right side of the boat? Bolts are crescent? Increase your presence there? What can we do there? Is that bonkers? Or is it Jesus saying, cast your net on the right side of the boat? Lutterworth. Let's start a little church or a little group in Lutterworth. Bonkers? Or is this Jesus saying, cast your net on the right side of the boat? Start a group for men who are suffering with mental health and depression and loneliness. Bonkers? Or is this Jesus telling us what he wants us to do? Don't criticize. Don't say it's bonkers without praying into it. Because it's not good for those that feel this is what God is asking them to do. Pray into it before you criticize. What is God saying? See, we don't like change. None of us like change. Of course, the gospel doesn't change. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It's still the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Scripture doesn't change. It's still sharp and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. But the way we relate to our culture and society must change. It must change and we mustn't stand still. The methods we use must change. What did Paul say? He said this, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul knew he had to adapt. This is why he used different methods when he was talking to the Greeks and different methods when he was talking to the Jews. 
The message was the same. N.T. Wright, uh, theologian, if you haven't heard of him, then get some books. Uh, N.T. Wright describes the role of the Christian as the bridge builder to culture. What his actual quote is, is the church, let me read this, the church is not a place into which people escape from the world, but is God's bridgehead into the world. Christians are called to live as signposts to the new creation, as the bridge of the Messiah. We need to relate to our culture. And sometimes that means having a bonkers suggestion, going with it, because God is saying, cast your net on the right side of the boat. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't stand still. The Holy Spirit is dynamic. And we need to mesh with the gear wheel of the Holy Spirit. If you're not meshing with it and going with the Holy Spirit, then things get really, really tough. When you go with the Spirit, he takes us to places where miracles happen. So even if it does sound bonkers, even if a call to you sounds bonkers, and it may not be just the church, you personally, you as an individual, pray into it. And if God is saying, step out in faith. I'll add something else as well. Cast your net on the right side of the boat could be asking you to think differently. You know, it's, it's, it's good to have your long-howled views and stances challenged. It's good to challenge yourself. If you only read stuff, if you only listen to podcasts that agree with everything or every view you hold at the moment, then you're never going to get your mind stretched. You're never going to see if God is trying to shift your perspective. I'm not talking about the major things. I'm not talking about the foundations of our faith and the promises of God. I'm talking about the peripheral things. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to have an open mind. It's okay to move away from your parents' stance. It's okay to move away from the views of your best friends. They're not going to fall out. Don't forget, this is micro shifts I'm talking about, not macro ones. How have I shifted over the years? If I think back, I've definitely shifted theologically, I've shifted, shifted politically, I've shifted on what I believe are the, the most important priorities that God wants in my life. I've shifted interpretation of certain scriptures. I've shifted how I worship. And I can't go backwards. I cannot go backwards. It's me casting my net on the right side of the boat in response to Jesus' words. Trouble is, we think, some of us, that we're professional Christians. You know, we've got theological knowledge, we've got experience, we've been in ministry. No one's going to convince me to change my stance. All I will say is, not even Jesus. We have to keep listening. And then fourthly, it's a miracle. 153 fish caught after a night of catching nothing was a miracle. John was the first one to connect the miracle to Jesus. Go to Galilee and I'll meet you there, Jesus said. It's the Lord. And Peter, the leader of the church, first one to take action, jumps into the sea. This is a Martha and Mary moment, okay? So the other six are doing all the necessary hard work, hauling the fish in, getting the boat to shore, and Peter just leaves them all and jumps into the sea to meet Jesus. That's his Mary moment. Peter, the leader just wanted to be 
with Jesus. And I am so grateful that we have leaders in this church who all they want to do, they want to live in worship and in listening to the voice of God, to the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And our leaders are examining all the bonkers ideas and they're listening to what God is saying with them. And then lastly, Jesus is in control. He tells them where to meet him. He creates a fire so he can cook breakfast for them. He, he notices they're weary and frustrated, so he gives them a simple instruction that sounds bonkers, and what happens? A miracle. And that accomplishes three things, doesn't it? It teaches them obedience. It gives them encouragement. And it provides a feast. <laughs> Better than a full English at Willie Wigston. But it tasted great, fresh sea, fresh fish just caught. I want to finish with this. If you're not a Christian, or if you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you're waiting for a purpose in your life, if you're frustrated that you feel life has let you down or there's no joy in your life, then you have a promise from Jesus. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus says, go to Hope Community Church and I'll meet you there. And this morning is the time when he can meet you there, here. You don't have to wait any longer. Your waiting can be over. He is here. He's here ready to change you. He calls on you to cast your net on the right side of the boat you might have a bit of a mist of unbelief. You might have the smoke of doubt. But I tell you this morning, this may sound bonkers, but he can do a miracle in your life this morning. The wages of sin leads to death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's the miracle you can receive this morning. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Say it and jump in and swim to him and let Jesus be in control of your life. That's my call to you this morning if you're not a Christian. And if you want to respond to that, then please come and speak to me. Please, please do. Jesus says, I've come so that you might have life. Life in all its fullness, in all its abundance. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we are the family of God. And we thank you that because we're family, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we can support each other. We can encourage each other. Just by listening and just by praying for each other. Lord, please free us from that desire to close ourselves down and sit in the corner enable us Lord to be blessed by asking for prayer and seeing the response that you Lord can give you do want to work amongst us this morning Lord in very uncomplicated ways So I just pray, Father, for those that are waiting, 
that as we pray for each other, you will bring a response. You will bring encouragement. Amen. So what I'd like us to do before we, we finish with our last song, are you okay just to pray for each other? I, I'm trying to think how to do this. I think what we'll do is just pray, just ask the person next to you or somebody you know well, just go to them and just say, will you pray for me? I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for God to answer my prayer. I need clarification because I think God's calling me, but I, I need you to just pray for me that I'll, it'll be really, really clear. I want God to fulfill that promise of that prophetic word, and I want God to answer my prayer. And if you feel this morning you're in a hard place, don't be afraid to ask someone to pray for release from that hard place. It could be something to do with work or something else in your life. And God change. Maybe you just want clarity of the priorities in your life. Ask for prayer. So if we can spend another maybe five, ten minutes just praying for each other. Don't be afraid. Just get up. Turn around to the person next to you or go and walk to somebody. If you've got something really personal to say, then find someone you really trust. And just ask them to pray for you. All of us, all of us are waiting and we all need to be blessed by someone praying for us.